Hey guys, welcome to the Fear to Freedom podcast. This show is hosted by Maddie Kohler and me, Alexis Manning. We're here to give you advice on all things health, fitness, faith, and mindset. This show is for women by women. Hope you enjoy the show. Fear to Freedom show. I'm so happy that you guys are back. Today we have Brittany Chown on the show. She is a certified strength coach, a powerlifting coach, personal trainer, and also an international elite powerlifter. Welcome on to the show, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited. So I've actually known you for a little while now. I was trying to think of when I first met you. Um, and it was, I think it was like one of my first couple competitions. I don't know if you remember, but I remember. <laughs> I um, want to say it was IPL Worlds in like yeah. 2017, maybe. Yeah, because that was or like 16. It could have been 2016, actually. Okay. I don't, I always get like the times mixed up because <laughs> oh, time has been passing so fast. Um, I know. Yeah. But that was, I remember we were in the same flight competing, like, in the 165s. I think we were both in that weight class. Yeah. 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 <laughs> A long, long time ago. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, man. So tell me, um, where has your athletic journey been going? Where did it start? Um, I know a little bit about you and your track background, but if you can start there, um, that would be good. Yeah. So I was a competitive track athlete most of my life started when I was like nine years old in track competitions. So um, did that through college. And that's really where I found my love for like weight training too was in college, just because we had to do, you know, barbell movements as part of our training for track and field. And once my kind of eligibility for track was up in college, you know, you have your four years and after that, it's pretty hard to continue on training and like competing in track and field unless you have like some kind of a team or sponsorship that you went on like post uh, college. And I just, Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite good enough for that. I was in that kind of cusp of like, I could have maybe continued training on my own and tried to get onto like a team somewhere, but I was moving for grad school. It was just a lot. So Luckily, at the time, I kind of still had weight training as a way to continue just to push myself. And I've always liked being active. So I just needed something to continue doing. And I kind of quickly realized there was actually a sport for that. I had no idea about powerlifting when I was in college. I had no idea. So I think I I don't even remember who I heard about it from, but I just remember being like, whoa, I can compete in like squat. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of blew my mind. I was like, this is awesome. So I just kind of started transitioning into, you know, not doing as much track and running stuff and just really focusing on strength training in the gym and realized how quickly I got way stronger just because I was focusing on it. I think when I was in college, it was like, weight training was just a piece of our training for track and field. So it wasn't like the priority. So I had gotten kind of strong through my like collegiate time, but it wasn't until I really put that focus on it. And that was my main training that I saw my strength really just um, increase a lot from there. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Um, do you think like being a track athlete and being really explosive, like jumping over things and like, you know, all that stuff, do you think that that has kind of given you um, an advantage in powerlifting? Um, yeah, I would say a lot of the really good powerlifters that I know and that I've, you know, heard talk about their background, a lot of them come from any kind of an explosive sport background. So you have a lot of track and field, like jumpers and throwers who ended up finding powerlifting or even like Olympic weightlifting, same kind of thing. Um, So yeah, I'm definitely, I don't, I think that definitely has a piece of it training to be explosive for so long. It's yeah come pretty natural for me now with with powerlifting. I know a lot of people who have to really work on that piece of strength yeah. training like they're strong but they don't know how to move fast. Mm-hmm. I've had the opposite. I've I know how to move fast. I just I just had to learn to be or had to train to be stronger. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. That's so cool. I feel like I have a couple track athletes um in my gym and it's like you know, they want to be super explosive, but then getting them to like push through the movement and like really stick it out yeah. when it is hard is like a little bit harder for them. Cause like, well, I'm so used to flying through this because I go to jump up on a box and I'm just like a little spring, you know, yeah. I'm like, yeah, like it takes a little bit of push. Like, you know, yeah, learning this is to, not a hundred percent. Learning to grind was definitely something I had to practice. I think there, for a while there, the second I hit like a, a stalling point in a lift, I would just go down because I was like, well, I wasn't going to get it. And it, it took yeah. a while for that mentality to change to be like, oh, once I hit that sticking point, I actually have to like grind through that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the end. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like people don't really understand that about powerlifting until you really start doing it. Like, yeah. it is a grindy sport, like, especially when you're going on your, you know, third attempts. It's like, oh, this yeah. is your last, your final attempt. It's like, if you don't give 100%, it's like, that's your fault. That's no one else's fault that you missed that lift that you probably could have made. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. So I wanted to actually talk about your deadlift progression um, because honestly, me watching you over the years now and seeing how much you've progressed, but I do remember a period of time where you were just like stuck kind of in your deadlift um, and not making the progress that you were really truly working for. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your mindset going through that? And what yeah, what was your mindset? We'll just start there. Like, what mental setbacks did you kind of have to get over to finally progress and now have such a big deadlift? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Deadlift was my best lift early on. I think I, uh, even in, in college, could pull 300 just from yeah. being explosive in, in track and field and everything. So it was always a, a good lift for me. And as I went into powerlifting, I noticed I got up to 400 pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I think within my, within a year of competing, I had gone to, gotten to 400. So mm-hmm. I think I was just so used to that fast progress with it just because yeah. it came naturally to me. And when I kind of, I don't know, I think just for one, being a natural athlete and hitting that, mm-hmm. I don't want to say like a genetic peak or potential because I, I don't think I've hit that yet, but yeah. hitting a point where it's like, okay, I've really <laughs> put, I've, I've increased so much on this lift and I don't mm-hmm. know how much more is really there. And I know that yeah. things are going to slow down and 
you know, if I get five pounds added to it after like a whole training block, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> but it took a while yeah. to get to that point of being excited about those like five pounds. I think initially when it started to slow down, which I would say was probably about the 440 mark. I think okay. after I hit my 440 deadlift, it was almost a year or more before I hit 450. So yeah. it was a struggle. I think when you're coming from someone who just put a hundred pounds on their deadlift in a year and mm -hmm. now 10 pounds seems impossible. It was super, um, what's the word? Just like, um, unfortunate. I don't know. I just was like upset about it, I guess. Just yeah. thinking like maybe that was it. Maybe I had like hit my potential and that was all I was going to be able to do. But I yeah kept lifting i mean that's all i can really say it was more just like the process of lifting and just my my workouts and going into the gym it was just something i enjoyed so much i wasn't going to quit just because yeah my numbers and my progress had slowed down so i just kind of kept doing it and then before you know it it's like okay i just added five pounds and then another training block okay there's another five pounds and eventually you just start being really excited about those five pounds yeah to where yeah, training it kind of, what it is. yeah it's like training gets exciting again and and fun yeah. like you kind of lower those expectations of okay i'm not gonna see a 20 30 pound pr every single you know meet every single yeah. period it's just not gonna happen anymore because of how advanced I am in this sport. Yeah. And that's okay. And yeah. I think just once you, you accept it, it becomes so much better. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. That is so true. Um, I had a really like similar story, um, <laughs> opposite, but similar because I think I got stuck in my deadlift right around like 430, 435. Yeah. But um, and I like just same, I plateaued for a year and then I really just like burned myself out um and like really had to just like walk away because I mentally just like it wasn't like it wasn't something that was making me happy anymore yeah. and then I just kept seeing girls who are like pulling over 500 mm -hmm. and, and then I didn't take a step back and think well okay I'm not in my first two to three rookie years anymore yeah. like you're four or five you know years in like it's gonna take a lot of grit to get over that like hump and like you said you like you didn't see progress for a year but you kept at it and like that's what I admire so much about your story because I'd seen your setbacks and um, at the time, like it seemed, it was hard to watch because I know how hard you work. Mm. And then now to see you really break through and you know, you're actually having these bigger PRs, like you put in the work um, just to grow. So I, I really, really admire you for that um, because it takes a special kind of person and you know, a special type of grit to really like, just challenge yourself even when things kind of suck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. So um, today, what is your favorite lift? Oh, it changes all the time. But yeah, <laughs> I had, I had a little moment there where I was loving bench press just because I think opposite to deadlift bench has always been my worst lift. So considering that I've actually been still achieving some of those like newer gains in it. Just yeah. because I wasn't as advanced, I think I'm still probably only considered like an intermediate bencher just because of yeah. my numbers. So I'm mm -hmm. still able to kind of put better PRs on it. I think I added like 17 pounds to my bench in one, like from one meet to the next, which 
I can't even oh, do that yeah. on a deadlift or squat anymore. I put that much pounds yeah. on it. So it got really exciting. I think just um, seeing my bench progress the last, like, I would say six months. But now that's starting to level out. So now I'm kind of back. Like, mm-hmm. all right, deadlift. Let's go. Like, deadlift is awesome. And I, yeah. I definitely have my love-hate with squat. Just I feel like squat's been the one with the most injuries kind of challenging me. But it, I still yeah. – I love the feeling of squatting. So even if I'm not able mm-hmm. to, like, lift as heavy as I want to, just the motion of squatting I really love. Yeah. No, definitely. That's awesome. So, I love them all. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of why you compete in Barrett. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so I did want to talk about some of your injury stuff and, um, how has, like, how have you been able to manage that, um, while still competing pretty, I would say consistently, um, yeah. how has that been for you? So, um, I, my, the, the, the probably worst one I had was my quad when I pulled my quad a couple times, actually, um, mm-hmm. one of them being at a meet in the bottom of a squat. Um, it was, yeah. And honestly, I'm lucky that I didn't tear anything. It was never anything. Yeah. It was never super bad as far as if you're looking at like the, the physical damage done, but I think mentally Mm -hmm. it just messed me up so bad. Just that fear every single time I was going down in a squat of like, what if this time it does tear? What if now I have a small injury there that if I even squat body weight, maybe it's going to. I don't know, just that, yeah. that like horrible voice in your head, just like telling the worst possible outcome. Yeah. <laughs> so I know. I think that injury has been the hardest to overcome. I think even now, I mean, that was two years ago, and I still sometimes when I'm squatting, I'm just like, oh man, my quad feels a little achy today. What if it tears? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was it was tough because my squat had been progressing really well. Um, when that mm-hmm. happened, it was about a year. It was about a year before I PR'd in my squat again, just because of kind of that fear of squatting heavy anymore. Yeah. Um, and then obviously my training did have to take a little bit of a step back with squats, so it just took a little bit longer for it to progress back up to where it was. Um, but then once I got back to where I was and then even surpassed that it was really rewarding just like I finally kind of defeated that you know two Mm -hmm. two year quad strain that shouldn't have been affecting me for that long but yeah it was really um even just like the last meet I did I I squatted 413 and it was just such a like mental victory to just really continuing to progress my squat through on just all of that. And then uh, more recently, I've just been dealing with um, an adductor strain. I'm, I'm assuming it's just okay. a strain, but it's on the same side. So I'm that whole leg, I'm just like so stressed about whatever. <laughs> Throw it I, in the trash. Whatever <laughs> I squat. It's like, oh, my whole left leg is just going to buckle any minute now. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. squats are kind of taking a, oh, a step back again right now. But it's, yeah. it's fine. I think it's. I, I do enough to really recover as best I can. I'm a huge, like, yeah. my sleep is so important to me. And I get called a grandma a lot because I'm like, oh, 10 o'clock, 
gotta make sure I'm in bed. And, Heck yeah! Like just my my sleep. I think being so consistent and getting good sleep, I think, has been huge for a lot of these things. Do recover pretty well for me, but it's the mental yeah. thing that I have to get over. Yeah. No, that's so true. Like I feel like the mental recovery almost takes longer oh, yeah. just to like trust yourself again and. Um, I personally haven't had really any injuries. Like I had like a minor strain, um, but like my brother has had a ton of injuries. And like when I talk about a ton, it's like anything and everything. Like he's had it, and then he's also like broken bones and like all this crazy oh, wow. stuff. And he always talks about that. He talks about like the mental component of trusting your body enough to push it, and then knowing also when to pull back as well. Oh yeah, and, like, it's this game that you play, you know, and like. For you, obviously, when you're going up on the platform, it's like, it's all or nothing. It's not like, well, you know, we'll see how my quad is. It's like, okay, like, I'm going, I'm going all out and I'm trusting my training and I'm trusting my yep. body. And like, you know, we're, you're, we're hoping for the best. So, um, and that's really all you can do. I mean, if you're talking about getting over mental barriers, like an injury and then going back to the same thing that you did to oh, injure, yeah. like, you know, you have to trust yourself. So that is um uh, injuries are very very fascinating to me just in general because one I've never really had a real one so when I talked to people about them I was like I don't know if I could get over that mentally like because I haven't yeah. had to you know so um that's like really major um so I also wanted to talk about um just programming and specifically periodization and like kind of what your training looks like getting ready for a meet. I feel like that would be a fun thing to talk about because there are still people who do random workouts. And like, I always tell people, I never have a problem if you're doing workouts to like, just stay in general health and you don't have like any mm -hmm. real goals. But like, if I have a goal of getting strong, like we know that you have to come in with a plan. Yeah. So I want to talk about programming with you and kind of pick your brain on that. Yeah. So I'm super old school. Not, I mean, I guess maybe not old school, old school, but I <laughs> grew, I mean, my whole collegiate experience and education has been in exercise science for the, like for six years. So yeah, I really love just your basic, like linear periodization. I obviously, again, just in that academic setting that I was in, that was all we really talked about. I mean, when we're talking about like coaching for any sport, they use a periodization model, you know, for yeah. pretty much any college athletics. And so I really loved all the principles of that, that I was learning in school and really just took that when I started powerlifting and creating my own programs kind of based off that same model um, has really worked well for me. Um, I mean, I've obviously yeah. tweaked things and like tried new things here and there throughout my um, five years in powerlifting. But when it comes down yeah. to it, just a simple periodization I've always found works super well for me. And yeah. I and I do know that there's people out there who have their um, issues with it and think that you know once you hit mm -hmm. a certain point, you can't continue progressing on it. But I disagree. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's yeah. I'm five years later. I'm still progressing on it. So I, you yeah. know, <laughs> no, definitely. Um, can you explain what periodization is for people? Yeah. So essentially you're breaking your training up into different periods of training. So different 
goals, different, um, um, like training variables, everything changes in these different periods. So typically we are transitioning throughout the year from a kind of less competition specific general um, high reps, just a lot of volume, a lot of variation. And then as yeah. you you kind of transition through those periods, as you get closer to competition, it's getting um, more specific to the movements that you would do on the platform. So for us, squat, bench, and deadlift, competition style with a straight bar. Um, and yeah. your intensities are going to slowly increase throughout each period. So more weight on the bar and volume will slowly decrease as you continue on with each period. So um, like if I'm, if I just have finished a competition, I'm definitely in like what I would just say a volume block. So lots of variation, lots of high reps. It's not super yeah. specific to powerlifting necessarily. It's more just general weight training. Um, mm -hmm. And then more so as I'm getting closer to a meet, um, what we as powerlifters would call like meat prep is very much a like strength and peaking. I usually do like a strength block first and then transition into a peaking block right before the meet. So my strength block yeah. will probably last like eight weeks or so. Um, this okay. is going to be a time where intensity is going to be pretty high. It's not, it's not um, like one rep max high, but it's, 80 to 90 percent maybe um yeah. reps are in that like three to six range we're really we're getting a lot of sets but not super high reps to get a lot of practice with the movement mm -hmm. but without it completely burning you out um yeah and then transitioning more into a peaking block right before the meet where we're doing singles doubles triples um high percentage over 90 percent um really low volume but just getting the body peaked yeah. to hit that one max at the meet so um yeah it's really just yeah. a way of programming specific to what that goal is going to be for that block of time basically mm -hmm. um yeah and then i'm i'm definitely one to like try out different um styles of training within that so i like to incorporate even some like conjugate stuff into that it doesn't mean i'm running full conjugate but i'm using principles that they have yeah. within my like blocks you know so um i like to play around with different stuff for sure yeah no definitely conjugate is really cool i know that that was very popular i i want to say like kind of when I first started powerlifting, like you were saying, like 2016, 2017, that's kind of like all I heard. Yeah. People. Conjugate is very, um, um, it's the old, I would say it really is the old school method of powerlifting. It's kind of what yeah. everyone had done. Most of um, powerlifting before it really got popular over the last few years. And I think there are still a yeah. lot of people. I think it's still one of the most popular programs for powerlifting um and the only for me it's just i again just the i'm biased in where i got my start and where i really learned yeah. about programming so <laughs> yeah well definitely and i feel like everyone probably responds a little bit differently depending on background um 
you know, just body type. Oh, yeah. Like that. I like, think, in know, my so, opinion, for yeah. the most part, conjugate is going to work best for bigger dudes on gear. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you look at the people yeah. who <laughs> developed that program and who trained with it, it got super strong on it. It's super yeah. heavyweight dudes, <laughs> big, big yeah. male power lifters that are, let's be honest, not natural. So I definitely think yeah. that's kind of what that programming is geared towards. And I think those are the people who respond best from it. That's not to say that yeah, a definitely. natural female wouldn't see progress on it because they definitely will. Mm-hmm. But in my, like what I've seen, I do think it can cause a little bit more injuries and just kind of like issues with yeah. people who aren't on gear just because it is really hard to recover from because it is such an intense yeah. way of programming. Um, so yeah. it's definitely not my favorite for most like female clients, especially natural ones, but yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and it's good that you're so conscious of that too, because sometimes I think people will see people progressing on a certain program or doing certain things and they just like throw all of their athletes on the same like type of program and not yeah. considering like, okay, how much like volume is this going to be on this oh, yeah. body? Like, is it a male? Is it a female? Like, do they sleep a lot? Do they have high stress? Like, you know, it's like you have to take all those variables and really be considerate oh, yeah. of like, you know, you're handling someone's yeah. body. Like, I think a lot of coaches forget that because they're not like personally doing mm-hmm. the training and so they kind of just forget like yeah like you know someone's doing this on the other end so make yeah sure it's good. <laughs> I've seen far too many coaches that it looks like they kind of just run every single athlete of theirs through the exact same program yeah. and I'm like how is that working like all these yeah. people are so and different I feel like you can get away with it yeah yeah, everyone is so different. And you can get away with it like the first two years because if you never went from being on a program to You're gonna being on a program, improve. you are going yeah. to make progress. Yeah. Like, I don't know if people understand that all the time. I'm like, this is a yeah. fact. <laughs> like, I never made more progress than I did in my first two years of, of competing and like really being, you know, a newbie, mm-hmm. honestly. So, okay, so a topic that is not super, super talked about, but you brought it up, so I might as well just go there. Um, what I want to know your thoughts on, um, you know, PEDs using um, drugs to enhance performance. Obviously, I know that you're a natural lifter, um, and that's something that mm-hmm. you're open about. Um, but just what are your thoughts um, in competing with women who are um, using helpers and things like that? Yeah, I get this question a lot. <laughs> Because I am so open about it. Um, It's it's interesting. So I feel like this past year or even more, I've really had to face like this the most of actually realizing that a lot of the people I'm competing against are on something, even if it is just, you know, Anavar or something more on the mild end, it's still something that is going to be giving them help and like allowing them to recover better and train harder. I don't know, whatever it is. But I, for most of my, like the first few years of competing, I was so naive to it. I was just like, Oh, no one does those. Like I'm not really competing against anyone who's using those. And I think it really started to hit me like, okay, no, there's a lot, a lot of people are using this. And I was really excited when USPA was their drug tested divisions were getting bigger 
Um, so I was really excited to be able to compete within, um, that division. Not that, I mean, it's a hundred percent drug free, but I think it's because USPA does have an untested division. I do feel like a majority of people who use something are going to use that channel because it's there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was really nice to have that drug tested division to compete in. But yeah. a lot of times those meets are kind of smaller. You don't get the best competition. You know, I'm at a mm-hmm. fairly competitive level where if I was to just do like a, yeah. a drug tested local meet, there's either not going to be anyone even in my weight class or maybe one person, mm-hmm. you know. So I kind of realized I still wanted to go to these bigger meets and the more, you know, open division meets realizing okay i'm going to be competing against people who are on gear and that's okay because at the end of the day i just want the competition i don't really care what anyone else is doing i want to be pushed so honestly like i just did the um the la fit expo which clearly is not a drug tested meat not to say everybody who was there was on something because it was actually a lot less competition that i was kind of expecting there was a lot of like first time lifters there so it was still pretty mild but it was still fun to really be kind of going head to head for best lifter with a few really strong um, lifters and not caring about that it was just like I just Mm -hmm. well I don't know when it comes down to it at a meet I don't care who's out there I want to be the best I can be and I want to win you know i mean i'm competitive so i don't really care who it's against honestly but yeah i mean it's it's definitely challenging though when i'm looking at like rankings and trying to like work my way up the 181 ranking list and realizing like okay i'm really competing against a lot of people that are uh have that advantage over me but for me personally it's just not it's not worth it. It's not something I want to do for myself, but I am yeah, super like what it's, it's your body. It's your life. It's, you know, you're making, you're an adult. You can make those decisions. Yeah. So I'm not against it for sure. I think mm-hmm. people who choose to do it um, as long as they are hopefully doing it safely, I mean. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. As safe as you can possibly exactly. do it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously at some point, could you even say that it's safe but if you're doing it the best you can with you know the consequences and the um kind of side effects and something that that person chooses to deal with or whatever if they're making that decision that's fine for them so yeah yeah definitely was there any point where you were at like a major plateau where you kind of thought like oh if I was just using something like I could, you know, get over this, did you ever have like that temptation or that? Oh yeah. Um, I think we've all had that temptation run through our head at some point. I know, especially now that I'm so close to really lifting with a lot of these like elite level lifters, there's, there is always that kind of voice in the back of my head. Like if you just did something just think about what that could propel you to or what, you know, what numbers you could potentially mm-hmm. hit. But at the end of the day, I, I told myself I wouldn't make that decision and I wouldn't 
um, I wouldn't decide to hop on anything unless I truly, truly felt I had completely hit my potential and there was absolutely like nothing left in the tank for me unless I chose to use them. I told myself I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. And as of right now, I definitely am not there. I know my bench press has so much room to grow. Um, I would even say my squat and my deadlift, I think I can really like, you know, put through a few more good training blocks. I think there's more in me, especially if I I do realize too, I I probably eventually will be a 198 lifter just because I don't think I've maxed out how much muscle I can put on my frame either. I'm pretty tall. So yeah. Yeah. You're so, so tall. <laughs> I know I have a lot of room to still grow muscle. I don't think I've hit that kind of a peak either. Everyone always talks like, oh, women can only, you know, build so much muscle naturally. But I think if you're doing it correctly and you're, you know, eating enough and you're training well, like, I don't think people realize how much we really yeah. have the potential to grow and to build muscle naturally. Yes. It's crazy that people think that any woman who has muscle must be using something. It's like, no, we have that ability to grow them too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It just takes a little longer and we have to but work it's really, really hard. And you know, the progress yeah. is slow, yeah. but yeah, it's doable. I mean, for me, I always look at Jen yeah. Thompson. I mean, like her bench yeah. is out of this world and she's, you know, she's been lifting for, I don't yeah. even know, 20 years or I don't know her timeline but like she's been lifting for a really long time and you know like she is still going to be hitting prs and like but guess what she's taking this time to actually buckle down and you know i commend her for everything that she does and even the same with you like you're like okay i don't think that i'm tapped out yet and i think that i really can like have more and i you know that's awesome because you're still willing to work with girls that you know are using things or compete against girls who are using things, but still you want to stay true to yourself and that's a decision you made. So I like, I love that. And you know, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Um, And especially too being taller and like having such a long squat and a long way oh, yeah. for a bench press, like, you know, you have to put on a lot. And I know muscle, I, so I think yeah, eventually within the next like two years, if I can really like fill myself out as a 198, I think that's going to be my strongest self just from a like leverages standpoint. But um, I'm not ready to add all that weight just yet because I want to do it slowly and really just build muscle the same way that I grew into the 181s. I did that really slowly and saw huge progress. I saw the most progress in my like later powerlifting years because I allowed myself to build muscle and grow and get bigger. So I know that when I hit yeah. that point with being in the 181 class where I'm just feel like I'm struggling to maintain that weight and want to continue building, mm-hmm. then I really, I feel like competing in the 198 class will be huge for me. So yeah, I think I still have plenty of time and room in this sport to continue progressing. And um, I don't, I don't feel like I, need to see that happen faster. I think that's the always the, the thing with PED use is they realize they can do it naturally, but think of how much faster they can do it if they use something. So for me, I'm here for the long yeah. haul. I don't really care how long it takes me. So yes, I'd rather. Just... Yeah. You'll be the next gen. Yeah. Person, so we'll keep an eye out for you. 
<laughs> oh, Maddie, um, she has a couple questions yeah. she wanted to ask you too. So she'll jump in. She's yeah, in here. Scary, buddy. Done with that now for a little bit. Um, but basically, I guess just as you kind of started to advance in powerlifting, are there any challenges that you didn't expect to come? Because I know like a lot of us, obviously, like not hitting a PR, those kind of things are expected or like switching from sleeves to wraps or vice versa, like those kind of things. But any challenge that maybe was like off the wall? Huh, that's I hmm. <laughs> let's see here. Um, I don't know. I mean, my like my path and my kind of story within powerlifting has been pretty like typical I feel like I don't know I'm like trying to think if there's really been anything that was like um I didn't expect um I mean I would kind of say the whole thing right now this whole like yeah <laughs> quarantine thing and having to change my training and yeah but I think I've adapted pretty well to that even um Luckily enough, yeah. having equipment available to me still to be able to train in my garage has been huge. But yeah, yeah I was fully prepared. I went out and I bought like a 50 pound dumbbell. I was like, I'm going to just do goblet squats <laughs> and like single arm rows all day until mm -hmm. my back is huge. I was just I was prepared. I was like, I'm still going to do this. But I was lucky my my gym owner yeah. allowed us to rent out some equipment from him to put in our garage so i still have a barbell so things are good but that's awesome though yeah but yeah i i can't think of anything that's like i didn't expect but maybe if i if i if it comes to me later i'll, I'll throw it back out there but. okay cool <laughs> nice um have you i have uh, <laughs> sorry i just lost my question <laughs> okay how has your training changed over the years um no, it has. It's definitely evolved. I would say the biggest thing would be like early, early on in my, how I would program myself. It was very much, um, I would do like five sets of five or four sets of five, like just the typical, like I'm doing a lot of sets and a lot of reps at the same weight. Whereas as I've kind of progressed, yeah. I've started doing a lot more um, like heavier top sets where I'll do maybe a top set of five that's really, really challenging and then take some weight off the bar to still get some rep work in. Um, I think for me, that has really helped to get more confident with like pushing heavier weight. Um, like we were kind of talking about yeah. earlier, for me, the thing I've had to really learn the most is how to grind weight uh, coming from that explosive fast background. I never had a problem moving fast. I've always been able to move a weight super fast, but I was not able to like grind mm -hmm. out heavy weight. So changing that the way of training to where I'm, I'm exposing myself to heavier intensity, heavier percentages more often and maybe just doing it for one set and then taking yeah. weight off for like back downs. That's been really, really helpful. I think I've, I saw a lot of uh, progress when I switched more to that way of training. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Hmm. Let's see. Um, do you have any mistakes that you've made? Um, like, Oh yeah. <laughs> 
I, I think we've had that sure. stuff where we're like, oh man, that was so yeah. stupid. Um, one that comes to mind yeah. is actually how I injured myself. Um, I was maybe like, I was in meat prep. I think I was like six weeks out, maybe six or seven weeks out. And I uh, was, I, at the time I worked at a commercial gym as a personal trainer. And I had some clients that were messing around like on a sled. And I wasn't even working out. I was still like at work. And they were like, hey, if we all sit on this sled, do you think you could push it? And me being just, I don't know, competitive and being challenged. I was like, hell <laughs> yeah, I can push it, you know? So again, six or seven weeks out from a competition, cold, not working out. Like this is me at work. And I just start oh, God. pushing there them on a sled I get maybe like four steps into it and just feel my quad just like pull and I was like oh, okay well that's that <laughs> and I'm so stupid and I kept prepping for that meat um I was so stubborn I kept telling myself mm -hmm. it wasn't that bad like I didn't it was just a little tweak like it was fine and ended up re-pulling it yeah. on the platform so that's the one where I was in my, I think it was like a second attempt mm. squat and I went down and just felt it completely like pull again mm. uh, in the bottom of the squat. And I just remember oh, thinking like, well, if I just would have not had my ego get in the way of like, <laughs> everything would have been fine. Yeah. So that's always like, I look back Aww. at that a lot and think about like where my squat maybe would be if I didn't have that like setback of that. I mean, it was like a year setback and yeah. It's just yeah. like, man, that was so stupid. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But I also think that you wouldn't be the lifter that you are today if those Oh yeah. I well. it's I learned a lot and I it really showed me how much I love this sport. The fact that I continued to train and to push myself through all of that and through like a year of no squat progress of going down. I had like three meets in a row where my squat was just going down because not only was I dealing with yeah. like, the pain of that, but then mm -hmm. just again, if we're talking about stupid things, just kind of continuing to like want to compete and want to compete, like keep training for meets and getting up yeah. there when I knew my quad was not a hundred percent. And just seeing that squat number going down was so hard for me. I finally kind of had a wake up call at one of the meets and knew I needed to take almost like a year off of competing. I was just like, I need to give my body like time. And I did, I took, yeah. I think it was like nine months of no competing and just training and getting myself better. And that's where yeah. I saw so much progress. That's also where I allowed myself to gain some weight, to go up a weight class. It was like the best thing I could have ever done. But yeah, yeah I think going through those setbacks and those, injuries and all that really showed me like man I really do love this sport if I'm continuing to train despite the fact that I'm not seeing progress in fact I'm seeing the opposite I'm going I'm going the other direction I remember literally three meets in a row where my yeah. total went down and most people I think would have just mm. quit I'm like well yeah, I guess I'm done with power quit. <laughs> yeah but I kind of stuck, yeah, I'm out. stuck to it, stubborn, <laughs> kept training, and <laughs> eventually so saw myself yeah. back, you know, up over my P 
PRs and yeah. now my, my totals improved quite a bit even since then. So finally got out of that. <laughs> As you were going through that um, nice. period That's of good. time where you weren't competing, was there anything you had to do mentally just to kind of keep yourself going and like dedicated to it since you weren't necessarily seeing, um, you know, you weren't getting to go to the meet and getting the fun aspects of, you know, powerlifting like don't get me wrong like I love training but sometimes it's way more fun to go out there and just like kick some ass like yeah it was the, it's the longest break I had taken since starting competing so mm-hmm. I was one of those lifters it was basically three times a year so every four months okay. I'm competing that was from that was like three years of that and then it hit that point where I was like okay yeah. I can't keep doing this because I'm not giving myself enough time to recover and build and you know improve especially once you've hit that three-year mark with powerlifting you know that it's harder to continue progressing anyway regardless of injury so i was um yeah i just i kind of took that time and just was training it and honestly it wasn't too hard to continue motivating myself i think i'm just so freaking stubborn i just i could see myself competing I, i could still see it i could still I knew it was going to be there. I had full trust that I was going to be on the platform again, even if it was going to be nine, 10, you know, a, a year from now, I knew I was going to be there and I knew what I wanted. I knew the numbers I wanted. I knew, mm-hmm. um, I just, I could see it still. So I don't know. I really, it was actually some of the best training I ever had. I think just without that pressure of a meet being right around the corner and mm-hmm. just being able to go in and work and, I was also training in a new environment. That's about the time that I switched and was training at Untamed Strength. So I think that was huge. For the first time, I was training in a powerlifting gym. My whole first three years of um, powerlifting, I was in a commercial gym. So I think just that in itself, like having that new environment to train in was so important to keeping me motivated and continuing to really push myself, even though I didn't have a meet right around the corner. Yeah. That's cool. So switching, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I was just yeah, switching oh, sorry, gears here sorry. though. Um have you ever done a water cut before a meet? Oh yeah. Um I was at a point in the 165 class at one point where it was really hard to keep my weight like in the 160s i was starting to get up into the 170s with training um so there was a few meets where i was water cutting six seven pounds to get down to the 165 class which isn't huge i know a lot of people do far bigger cuts than that but for me that was a lot my i feel like my body does not respond super well to water cuts um even following protocols that i'm seeing online from people like reaching out for help, like just trying to like follow everything I could as best I can. My body just does not (laughs) like giving up water. Um, So I had a couple pretty bad ones where I was feeling like, I think actually one of my work, my first like really bad meets I had, this was like before my injury, but it was at IPL Worlds 2017, I believe. I had a pretty bad water cut and I made weight, but I was just like so sick feeling from it. I remember still the next day just competing, just feeling so off. And 
I think after that, I decided I was going to start working towards working up a weight class just because I didn't want to have to continue doing water cuts. It's just mm-hmm. never been something I've really been. Um, I felt like has worked well for me just as far as like being able to compete at my best. But even now as a 181, I mean, there yeah. was a few meets, like even my my last meet, I was walking around like 185, 186, um, like the week before my meet. So I tried to kind of do it slower throughout the week, but I still had to cut a few pounds, like water cut a few pounds, ended up like barely making it. It was actually a really crazy story. My last meet, um, the scale that they were using was, um, it was kilos, obviously, but it was the, the like, the tens, like the point was going from like three, five, seven, like it was only in odds and it wasn't like in hundreds. So it wasn't like, oh, one or, you know what I mean? It was just like 0.3 or 0.5. Oh, and actually, wait, I'm wrong. It was 0.4. It was an evens because it was going two, four, six, eight. But I remember I had to be 82.5. So every time I would step on the scale, it would wiggle yeah. between four and six and then go to six. And I was like, can you guys please do something about this? Like, I'm pretty sure I'm 0.5, but because it's not 0.4, it's showing 0.6. So they eventually like got a different scale out yeah. and had it like regular units. And I was like 82.48 or something like that. And I was like, wow, I was sitting there, I was literally (laughs) spinning in a cup for like an hour because I couldn't pee anymore. And they were like, oh, it's like almost time. Like you have to get this. And I was like, what the hell? Like this sucks. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. so, you know, to any people out there, if you're like, if the scale is doing something weird like that, like let them know. Don't be afraid to be like, hey, I think this scale is like funky off mm-hmm. <laughs> no yeah no thank you <laughs> i feel like i don't know i've oh, only done yeah. a water cut like twice but yeah both times i felt like uh, not that i was like drowning or something like super intense like that but just at all times i definitely felt like i should be throwing up something or like just not okay yeah it's not fun <laughs> yeah i just knew something was wrong but <laughs> no Mm-hmm. Well, and then competing the next day, if you have a 24-hour weigh-in, is yeah. close to hell because you're so dehydrated. Your your body's just like, yeah. you, it's so depleted at that point. And you're like, go work as hard as you possibly can the next day. Like, if you're doing bigger water cuts, the small yeah, ones, I'm definitely. like, okay, two to three pounds, we can do that. But, like, you know, you're going over five, seven, ten pounds, which I've seen some. Oh, pretty, yeah. I mean, I've seen yeah. upwards of 18 to 20 pounds. It's insane. It's not yeah. Yeah, the it's ones not where okay. I've done that were like <laughs> over five pounds. Like I think I've the most I ever did was seven, was pretty intense. Like I definitely okay. felt pretty crappy. <laughs> like it was not fun. And again, I think that yeah. has something. I think every body is different and will respond differently to these things. And I know there's people who can do a ten pound water cut and they bounce back super easily. They feel fine and can still compete if, at their best. Yeah. And I just think for me, my I just don't respond that way. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I've had some pretty crazy water cuts in my competing day. And I, I'm just yeah. happy that I don't have to be yeah. for anything right now. <laughs> oh, man. And, um, 
So regarding just like powerlifting in general, are there any things in the industry, whether it be like a stereotype or just like misinformation or, you know, fraudulent coaching? Are there any, if you could change one thing, what would it be? Ooh, this is a good one. Um, I think honestly, it's something I've talked about in the past that I really feel like needs a change, like in powerlifting in general is the weight classes. And like, I think specifically on the on the women's end we need heavier weight classes i feel like the fact that after 198 it's just like all right everybody else is insane to Mm -hmm. me because there's just such a wide range of people competing after that weight um and so then it's just crazy that you have someone who's like 210 competing against somebody who's like 250 um and I, yeah, and I understand why sense. I get that when powerlifting first started, there just wasn't that many women competing. There was not necessarily a need for that weight class. Mm-hmm. But I think they need to reevaluate. Yeah. Like, okay, we're in a different time. We have far more women competing than we've ever had in this sport. We need to take a look at these weight classes and are they yeah. suiting the population that we have? So, um. Yeah. I would even say, like, I, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't know how popular those really, really low weight classes are, but it seems like we have so many options. It's like 97, 105, 114, 120. It just seems like there's so many options in those small weight classes that I don't even think are that popular. If they were to, like, take one or two of those yeah. ones and, like, move it to the back and, like, add an extra, like, bigger weight class, I think yeah. that would be amazing for the sport. Um, I've, I I know I've heard talks of it, but I've never seen like a federation like truly consider it and really make an effort towards that. But I think that's yeah. something that is really, really needed in the sport. Yeah. I like that. I actually haven't heard yeah. anyone really talk about that. So that's cool. Um, yeah, no, that is. That's a really, yeah. I've never thought I, um, I'm five feet tall, so I haven't realized that that was an issue just because obviously like, I don't know if I weigh 200 at five feet, we would have some issues. <laughs> so I didn't even realize, I guess that, um, the weight classes after that point just included everybody. Yeah. I never even took the time to like notice that, which I guess is really bad on my part, but I'm really happy you brought that up. Yeah. It's something I think, especially as my perception has changed in the sport. I mean, I was coming from when I first started competing, I thought the whole goal was to get as light as possible and that you Mm -hmm. had to try to fit into the smallest weight class you possibly could. And I, I even found like a comment on one of my like old, old, first meet posts where I literally was responding to someone being like, yeah, I competed in the 165 class, but I'm trying to get to the 148 class. Like, I'm like, I'm five Uh, nine. Like I have no business being a 148 lifter. (laughs) And so it's so funny to me. I was just like, the fact that that was in my brain. And I remember like originally when I was finding powerlifting being like oh I can't compete yet I'm too big like I I don't mm-hmm. want to be in the big weight class so I need yeah. to like lose some weight first like the it's just crazy that we have yeah. that kind of idea of like especially I think for the women just that we need to be as small as we possibly can and I'm seeing even in a I'm definitely seeing yeah. like more lifters being okay with moving up weight classes and allowing themselves to grow mm-hmm. and get bigger 
And the fact that for me, I consider myself still fairly um, like lean. I'm definitely in like a pretty, uh, not low body fat percentage, but like, I mean, healthy. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be a 198 soon. I know it. I yeah. know for sure that eventually I will be a 198. And so it's crazy yeah. that there's not many other options. Like there's so many other body types out there. There's so many other mm -hmm. lifters that yeah. Like it's just seems oh, weird yeah. that there's just not like a place for them. Like they're all just kind of lumped mm -hmm. together in one class. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true though. Cause I know that I really struggled with that same mindset of like, you want a good wilt. So you want your body weight to be lower and you want your lifts to be heavier. But like, when you think about it, I mean, you can only, when we're talking a little bit earlier about, like, ma max potential, like, someone who's bigger is yeah, going to always moves be able to lift more when we're talking about their max compared to someone smaller. Like, yeah, it's like, that's just, like, common sense. But, like, I think the stereotype of starting powerlifting and wanting to be, like, yeah. what right. this fitness mm -hmm. goals on Ugh. Instagram is, you know, it really starts skewing your view of, what yeah. strength actually it's... looks like um yeah which sucks but i'm glad like more and more people are talking yeah. about it because i mm -hmm. know it's something that i struggled with so much my first two yeah. years before and I, it's I had crazy my wilts like, went up so like yeah when i went from a 165 lifter to a 181 lifter my wilts increased not by a whole lot but because yeah. of how much strong mm -hmm. i'm able to be allowing myself to grow mm -hmm. and to like build muscle i'm i am significantly yeah. stronger than i was as a 165 so yeah my wilkes went up a little bit like it's just yeah. funny to me that people like they're like oh but if i move up a weight class i won't be as competitive it's like okay but you also have to think about how much stronger you're going to be yeah. if you go up a weight class yeah like, <laughs> yeah well, and oh, all yeah. the weight classes are competitive now. With yeah. how many women are in this sport, you can't go into yeah. weight no, class. Yeah. We're, we're far it past exist that in this sport. The each each weight class at this point is it's getting stacked. There's gonna be someone ridiculously strong, like in yeah. every class. I think it's really interesting yeah. just like the perceptions, I guess, that a lot of people have when they first start this versus, you know, after a couple of years of being in the industry, because like we all said, I feel like pretty much everyone feels like they need to either be in a lower weight class, you know, comparing yourself to like other lifters. And so I remember my very first meet, actually, um, some girl squatted behind me and, you know, her squat was incredible and it was like 350 something and it was so badass and mine was nowhere near that. And so... I was just really upset and so towards the end of all of our um like lifts at the end of the day after we did like deads my family and i just because i was like i probably didn't do that well i'm fine if we just leave so we left before they did any of the announcements because i was so upset with myself and i felt so weak and it turned out i had first class in my weight class and i didn't even stick around to Aww. like find out i had i found out two years later because i like just googled up the placements and i was like are you kidding me and it was all, i just got so worked up over some girl that had you know 30 pounds on me lifting way more than me yeah like she should have and it's just like i don't know not that um it was anyone else's responsibility but i just wish that it had been more normalized like the information of like hey it's okay if you're only lifting this much and you're you know this small yeah. like those kind of things like because i think a lot of times it's just glorified yeah. of like these are the strongest people in powerlifting period and they go to all these extremes to get there and so that's how you have to do it in order to get there or when you're yeah. like, they're not doing those things until the end of their career anyway yeah like or sometimes like 
those small lifters they'll they'll look at like the best of the best that are like super tiny mm-hmm. like Steffi cohen yeah she's super small yeah and tiny and is ridiculously strong but hey guess what she's like a freak outlier like she's yeah not the norm you know so i yeah. think remembering that too i think sometimes we see these like crazy mega like lifters and think like okay well i guess i need to go in a different weight class because she's the best or whatever and it's like she's like a genetic yeah. freak she's <laughs> yeah. amazing like she's built perfectly for the sport that she's doing like she's mm-hmm. i don't know yeah you just can't compete and you're not herself. gonna compete against her in a meet yeah like, exactly like who cares I'll sign up for the same one <laughs> don't need to worry about yeah to get yeah oh my god <laughs> That's so funny. Nice. So as we're wrapping up the show, we always do random questions at the end of the show. What is one thing that you must accomplish Um, before you die? I mean, I always have my like powerlifting goals in my head of like if I've already accomplished like two of my big ones and the 500 deadlift is like the last one in my head. So that's obviously just like gonna pop right up because being so close to it now and realizing like yet like how far away it still is but you know that's definitely something I feel like has to happen (laughs) otherwise like I just don't know if I could live with myself (laughs) that's so bad um and I would really really like to like eventually I don't know at what point in my career I'll you know get to this point but I would love to one day either own a gym or be in a place where I could start putting on meets and start hosting um, powerlifting meets and doing like women's only meets and other like, I just want to be in a place where I could start holding more events for like female lifters. So seminars mm-hmm. and meets, competitions, like all of that. Like I, that's something I really, really want to achieve at some point in my life. I love that. That's awesome. Very cool. So I'm assuming that you um, offer online coaching. Where can people find you at um, on social media? Yeah. So um, I do coach for powerlifting online, remote, whatever, wherever you're at. And then also locally here in Sacramento. Uh, My Instagram is Brit um, underscore Chown Strength. So, um, Chown, C-H-O-W-N. Some people don't know how to spell it, but <laughs> yeah, Brit Chown Strength. Um, and then my website is currently like under, I've been trying to mess with it. It's not even up right now. So I'll, yeah, maybe once I get that finished, I'll send you guys that link. <laughs> yeah, no, I no know. Worries. I mean, that's how we all basically run our businesses website, now anyway. So. <laughs> it's your personal page. <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing so much about your journey and just really great information. Um, we, me and Maddie, were super excited about this episode because obviously I'm former powerlifter. Um, still, all, you still powerlift, I, right, Maddie? I don't compete. I'm or, just now trying to not be a wimp. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but anyways we were excited to talk about strength because obviously you're very accomplished in this sport and um yeah i just have so much respect for you and i just remember when we met and seeing your journey yeah, fun. So, much. so 
um yeah so thank you so much Hey guys, this is Maddie from the Fear to Freedom podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out our other episodes on Spotify as well as Apple Music. And don't forget to follow our Instagram at fear to freedom underscore podcast for updates, health information, mental skills, and more.